0: at MikeCrock.com forward slash book. That's Mike C-R-O-C.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy and subscribe to the What Are You Made Of podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. If you like watching these, it's available on YouTube at my channel, Mike Crock Scirocco. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of What Are You Made Of with your boy, Mike Crock. Thank you so much for joining us appreciate you following and, and, and hanging with me and my guests. Thank you for the support of the What Are you Made of movement and rocket fuel. So let's get right into it. today's guest, Ben Baker is an international speaker and author contributing both to magazines and other people's books over the last number of years. His book, Powerful Personal Brands: A Hands- on Guide to Understanding Yours, was released August 1st, 2018. We'll get into how you can get a copy of that as well. He's also a husband and father and a member of his community. Big believer that friends and family are paramount, and we all have a responsibility to roll up our sleeves and help change our little part of the world. Ben, welcome to the What Are You Made Of podcast.
1: Mike, it's a pleasure. I mean, we've we've been talking about this for months now, so I've been anticipating this. This is going to be a lot of fun.
0: Love it, man! Thanks for joining us. And uh, you know, we always start the show with the question: What are you made of?
1: What am I made of? You know. Little bit of rocket fuel, a little bit of tequila, and uh, you know what, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that goes along with it. But what makes me who I am is my you know wholehearted desire to help people communicate more effectively, is to help build better leaders, to help people to stop being managers, to stop managing people and start leading people, to get them to understand how to you know create better leaders and create better teams. And allow for purpose and culture and vision to perpetuate through a company. So that's really what I'm all about. You know, I've been marketing and communication for over a quarter century now. And and for me, it's all about elevating the message. It's all about getting people to understand what makes you valuable and why. And enabling you to tell this in a way that differentiates you in the marketplace.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I feel I'm in alignment with you and that. What it says above your head, if for those watching, what's your story? Is uh, I'll take you back a few years when I was in uh, college and I was chasing the, some of the ladies. My pickup I line, was, we,
1: all, we all have a degree in that, don't we? Yeah,
0: yeah. My my pickup line was, What's your story? And then they would say, Uh, what do you mean by that? I'd say, Well, everybody's got a story. What's your story? and get them to talk about themselves then they 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 love that. People love talking about themselves and you don't even have to say anything about yourself and then you know they end up leaving and still liking you for some reason. So because you let them talk about themselves. So I love that. Can you can you share your thoughts on and I'm going to get I'm going to dig a little more deeper into what you're made of, but I want to sure. sh- want you to share your thoughts on um why people why more people don't share their story. And I have my things I talk about all the time, but I'd love to hear your point of view on that. I
1: I think because most people and I hate to say it Don't think that their story is important. And and, and here's the thing. Everybody's story is important. It may not be world changing. It may not be earth shattering. It may not be presidential material. But everybody's story is important to somebody. And we all have people that we influence. We all have people that are going to know, like, and trust us. And they're going to know, like, and trust us because they believe in us. And how they believe in us is knowing our story, knowing what we're about, knowing what we're passionate about. Knowing what you what we believe in, what we rail against and what we you know fight for. And I think that when people don't tell their story, they're really not being true to their audience, they're not being authentic with their audience because you know, you don't have to tell everybody, you don't have to tell everybody you were beaten as a child. But you know what, the fact that you were beaten as a child may make you who you are today, may give people a little bit more insight as to how you've you know, thrived and survived beyond that and how, why you're so passionate about child advocacy today. You know, so it, it's those little stories that enable people to have a hint into your soul and be able to make you far more relatable. So let's get into yours. Yeah. You know, uh, my story goes back. I mean, it, it all depends if you want to talk professionally or if you want to talk personally, 25 years ago, I was in an airplane 200 plus days a year. I was working for a company called Ingram Micro. I had $100 million client and flight crews knew me by name. You know, I I would literally wake up in the morning and have no idea what city I was in or exactly who I was supposed to be meeting with until I opened up my laptop and tried to figure it out. You know, I, I was known to call down to concierge and ask them what, actually what city I was in. And my wife and I looked at this and said, you know what? This is a divorce waiting to happen. You know, I, I'm never home. And when I am, there's, you know, we, we get into these, you know, these scuffles based on little things, based on the fact that I haven't been home for 35 days. And I took a look at my life and I went, I can't live like this. You know, either either my you know my boss is going to double or triple my salary to pay for my divorce, or I'm getting out. And they were they were they were kind enough to buy me out. And the deal was, I stuck around for 30 days. I found my replacement. I flew around for another 30 days and introduced him to everybody. And then I got out and they paid me for six months to do so. And that was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. But the best thing that happened to me is. They actually paid me to go to an industrial psychologist and do the what do you want to be when you grow up training, you know, taking the what color is your parachute on steroids and go through an entire, you know, couple days of battery of exams and, and communication and sitting down there and figuring out what are you really passionate about? What do you really want to do with your life? And what it came down to is I love telling people stories. I love helping people tell their stories effectively. And I didn't really know where I was going with this, but I, I wandered into direct mail and I, I fell into it by some happenstance and I killed a lot of trees. You know, for the first five years of my career, I killed a lot of trees. We did a lot of work for casinos and for the uh, the grocery industry, a lot of variable print, a lot of that. And And what I found out was these organizations were reactive. None of them took the time to understand what their brand was, what differentiated them, what made them leaders in the marketplace. They were just reacting to what everybody else was doing in the marketplace. And I, and I couldn't get them to get out of that mindset. And so I started saying, you know what? This is mission critical. If, if companies don't understand who they are, what they do, who they do it for, why those people care, and why those people find them valuable, why are we telling the story to begin with? because you're telling the wrong story. So branding really became a raison d'etre, a reason for being for me. And over the last 20 years, I've branded companies big and small, and I've helped them through taking their brand and helping them tell their story through that brand to be able to differentiate themselves so they stop being commodities and they start being brands worth loving. Well, over the last five to seven years, I've come to the realization that Many companies may do a decent job branding themselves and telling their story externally, but if you ask their staff what their brand story is, if you ask their staff what their purpose, what the vision, what the values of the company are, nobody has a clue, and they certainly aren't living them. And It's really moved into internal communication consulting with companies where I sit there and say... Let's help you tell your story effectively inside. Let's build your culture. Let's build your purpose, in your organization. Let's enable your staff to be better leaders and build better teams and communicate more effectively. And that's really where I've come to it. I've built programs called Podcast Host for Hire, uh, which is, is really designed to enable companies to create a podcast that you know interviews strategic partners, employees, customers you know, um, vendors and get a 360 degree view of their company. And we handle that from soup to nuts all the way from creative through distribution. And we voice the actual podcast for them. And I also do some leadership work and we actually wrote a book this year with my partner, Claire Chandler called leading beyond a crisis, a conversation about what's next. So, you know, there's, there's lots of stuff that gets in there, but in the end, it's all about helping people communicate in a way that shows what their differentiation in the marketplace truly is.
0: Yeah. And it's uh, you know, part of it's to get more business, build your business. But the other thing is if you don't have a brand or if you don't have a story, people start to buy off of price and price yeah. alone. And you know, when they like you said, the commodity situation, that's that's the analogy there, right? It goes just strictly to price. And when somebody's working with me, they can't get me down the street. And that's they don't very have true. story. They don't have the rocket fuel down the street. They don't have that down the street. So you can go get something cheaper. You can pay less money, but I'm not coming with it. And that's, that's you know, that's that because I have that story. So same thing with companies. I agree 100%. The story, story is imperative. Now, there's still always going to be some people that are transactional people, um, you know, and you guys don't understand that there's probably, I don't know the exact number, but I'm going to guess 10 to 15% of people, the shoppers, buyers, what have you, are going to be transactional no matter what you do Mm -hmm. that's okay you just need to understand that not everybody's going to buy in but the majority of people they buy the story they buy the brand they buy you and uh that's that's you know powerful so so ben um let's go back into your your life as a little kid and tell us a little bit about personal and what you're made of
1: yeah I i was born in minneapolis and moved to vancouver in canada in 1974 uh, what happened was, my mother was from Winnipeg, and my dad was living in, in Minneapolis when he met my mother and was originally from Chicago. Well, my aunt and her husband moved out to Vancouver. My mom wanted to be near her sister. So at the time, the Canadian dollar was worth more than the US bucks. So we ended up moving to Canada. If not, we probably would have ended up in Seattle. I grew up here, I was in Vancouver till about 1987, went through high school elementary school. I raced you know bicycles at the time. I used to put on about 350 or 400 miles a week and then race on the weekends uh, on a bicycle. I had a great time and learned a lot through that uh, because it was all about teamwork. It was all about communication. it was all about anticipating each other's you know needs and moves and that, that was a lot of fun. But I went to university in Victoria on the island. And there, I got into really got into computers. I my degree is in political science. My uh, but my my passion, my love was always with computers. I ran the mainframe. I created the first Mac Lab on the University of Victoria campus in 1987. Uh, I spent a year living in Israel. I took my third year abroad and went to the Hebrew University. Came back, finished my degree. Went back to Israel for a couple of years. And worked in the computer industry, and then came back. Oh God, I guess about ninety four, ninety five, um, and that's when I when I ended up getting uh, heading up to that company that where I was doing two hundred, you know, where I was working uh, two hundred days a year on on the on the road. But you know, my childhood was all about being surrounded by adults. It was it was my fascination to be around entrepreneurs. My father was an entrepreneur, most of his friends were an entrepreneur. And where my brother and a lot of his friends would take off and head out you know, after dinner, I would sit around the dinner table and listen to the conversations and try to learn from people that had been there and had the experience. And I think that that's really made me who I am because I realized that by understanding business from a business point of view, It enabled me to be exposed to all different sorts of thoughts and realize that, you know, they disagreed and they disagreed vehemently around the table, but they always respected each other. And, you know, it made me think that there's not just one way of looking at things, you know, that there's always different ways of looking at things. There's always different ways to, you know, look at a problem. There's always different ways to solve a problem. And I think that that's probably the biggest thing that came out of, of my youth was those conversations around the dinner table with my my dad and his friends and, and you know, and with with relatives talking about, you know, I, big ideas, whether it be politics, whether it be government, whether it be business, whether it be whatever, and understanding that, you know, people can disagree and neither one of them is right 100%, neither one of them is wrong 100%, but, you know what, the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. And I think that, that oh. was really what made me who
0: I am. Love it, man. Love it. So political science, huh? Yeah. So so let's talk about that with politics now. We don't have to get into your, your views on politics necessarily, <laughs> but, but you know, understanding that part that, that, you know, both sides have some validity and the truth lies somewhere in the middle and, you know, growing up and seeing what you've seen uh, from when you you know came out of school, political science major. What are your thoughts on how things have gotten so divisive, or has it have has it always been as divisive? And we're just kind of seeing more of it now with media.
1: You know what? I think that there's that's that's a really long, you know, there's a really long answer and there's a really short answer to this. Uh, you know, 24/7, 365 news media has done a lot, and, and social media has done a lot to elevate the temperature because everybody's looking to fill airspace. And if you've got, you know, if you've got a, a TV station, whether it's CNN, whether it's Fox, whether it's, you know, pick pick any of these stations out there, they're constantly trying to fill space. And how do you do that? You keep talking. And and by, by talking, you know, what you're doing is you're perpetuating your viewpoint. And, and, and what you do is you're amplifying your message to your, you know, to your audience and the people who listen to Fox don't listen to CNN and, and vice versa, et cetera. And each one gets, you know, uh, radicalized within the viewpoint based on the media that they listen to. And, you know, because they're not talking to each other and they're not listening to each other and they're not, you know, listening to each other's mediums, they're they're constantly being fed what they already want. Like, here's a perfect example. I go and I go on YouTube and I listen to um, a YouTube video that's talking about what's going on in, in a political uh, world today. All of a sudden, YouTube is going to start feeding me eight or 10 different YouTube videos that sound exactly the same, that have the same point of view from the same, you know, the same bet, the same thought process. And you start, And then the more you start listening to those, the more comes up your way. So you know the algorithms are filled with the reason to give you more of what you already wanted instead of giving you a diverse viewpoint and letting letting you listen to different viewpoints. You're only being fed what you already want to listen to. I mean that's why I like listening to international news. Now there's a problem. You know the discord of politicians feeding their base. You know the, the politicians feeding their base and whether it's left or right, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, there's there's all the challenges that go along with this, and I could talk about this for hours. But really, it comes down to the fact that the civil discourse and the the ability to actually talk to each other and listen to each other has been diminished based on the fact that we are not actually face to face, and we are not actually talking to each other. We're not listening to each other. It's all being done through a medium that's asynchronous. <laughs>
0: I wanted to take a quick break here to remind you that my book, Rocket Fuel, is available for sale now at mikecrock.com forward slash book. That's mikecrock.com forward slash book. Go get a copy and share it with your friends and family. It will change lives, guys. I will not let you down. Now back to the show. Yeah. And you know what I like to do? I like to watch, I, I don't really watch the news um, um, for information necessarily. I watch it as entertainment and I watch mm-hmm. all channels. I watch, yeah. you know, MSNBC, Fox, CNN, I'll flip back and forth. Uh, I laugh at some people <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I just like to take it all in, but I'm a thinker
1: yeah.
0: and I think that we have an issue. I think, I think that we have an issue. I know we have an issue that some people go to work, do their job. And when they come home, they don't, they don't feel like thinking. Mm-hmm. They don't take the extra effort or time to think. And then they allow whatever they've turned on to tell them what to believe and then they just roll with it. And then, so that gives a whole lot of power, obviously, to the media, social media and 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 the sort, because people are basically allowing themselves to be brainwashed one way or the other, like you're saying. And I think that we need more thinkers. We need to encourage more thinkers and really, you know, if we, if you develop your core values and really think about what lines with your core values, um, you know, I think this world would be a better place. But on the other hand, I also think that there's device division needed to have problems to solve. Uh, you
1: know, I am not against conflict. Mm-hmm. Conflict is a good thing. If conflict is done in a way that's productive, where people actually listen to each other, when people actually debate, when people actually, you know, try to empathize and understand each other's opinion, there's nothing wrong with me believing one thing and you believing the other. As long as it's done, it, you know, and the discourse is done in a in a simple manner, you know, and, and it, that's how the sharing of ideas, and that's how we elevate, you know, whether it's whether it's politics, whether it's within the office, whether it's within a marriage, you know, it, whether it's with your kids, you know, it's being open to the fact that other people have opinions different than yours, and that's okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, and,
1: and that's the problem is that we've reached a point in a lot of cases where people sit there and go, if their opinion is different than mine, it's wrong and it's not, and it's evil and it should be uh, obliterated and whatever. And that goes in business and that goes in politics that can go in marriage. That can go anywhere. And I think when we can get rid of that mentality that if they're not, if they don't believe what I believe they're wrong, then I think we're going to live in a much better world.
0: Yeah. I love that, man. I love it. I, I you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, People think that if they everybody would just go their way, that everything everything would be hunky dory. But what happens is we end up not having we not we don't have problems to solve, and mm-hmm. problems give us purpose, and that's what life's all about is purpose of problem solving.
1: Would and, we have truly gone to the moon if the Russians hadn't beaten you know beaten us to space? Exactly,
0: competition, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. By the way, you know uh, we have a space force now. I was uh, looking at that a few months ago, and I was telling somebody about it. And they had not heard about the new arm or the new branch of the military for us is a space force. Did you know about yeah. that?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And here's, here's the beautiful thing is that us government does not own the, 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 uh, the patent on the name space force. There's wow. a, there's, there is a, a television show or a movie or something like that. That was, that was created years and years mm-hmm. ago, or at least the, the concept was done years ago and they trademarked the name. So they've Amen. got the name trademark for Space Force and the U.S. government does it, which I think is absolutely hysterical.
0: That's unreal. That's unreal. Well, Ben, what's a what's a tell us a story, or a little antidote or something from your past that you still think about every single day when you don't feel like doing something, you don't feel like getting up, you don't feel like or if your things are going great, you just it doesn't help you. you you know, you're looking to go to the next level. What are you looking back on that fuels you now? Not for regret or not to get stuck in the past, but something that fuels you constantly.
1: You know, here's a story that I tell from stage all all the time. Um, And it's interesting because it goes back about 15 or 20 years and I'm working with a client and it's a fairly new client and it has the potential of being a big client. It could be three, it could be four, it could be $500,000 a year in business. They're a significant player in, in the printing industry and you know we we go to do a a test job with them and it's about 15 or 20 thousand dollars and it was just when printing went from film and plates to direct to print so it's brand new technology and i'm sitting there going okay i'm a tech guy i understand this i understand this completely i know everything that can happen i there's nothing that's going to surprise me about this so we're rushing through this job and the client sees a mistake on the on the proof i said no problem don't worry about it we'll make a new proof boom run over to his office with the new proof. And, and I just, I, I pointed out to him on this big sheet of paper and I said, there's, there's the fix. Yeah, we did it. Okay, sign off on it. Run back to the press, start running it. Well, what I didn't realize is when they, when they made this change, they shifted the, the, the print through the entire document. So all the formatting was off, All the, you know, there was curdling, there was, there was a whole bunch of things and it looked terrible. It looked absolutely terrible. And being young and brash and willing to dig in my heels as I was, I said, well, you signed off on it. And the client said, okay. And they paid to have it reprinted. And I never heard from them again. And I will never hear from them again. Because their attitude was, you didn't work with us, you didn't take care of us, you know. This it was, it was at least fifty percent my fault. Absolutely, it was fifty percent my fault, and I missed it. And I think about that every single day. It says, you know, yeah, I won the battle, and it didn't cost me ten or fifteen thousand or five thousand dollars or whatever it would have cost me to reprint it. But I lost the customer, and I lost you know, upwards of, say, two hundred fifty dollars or $300,000 for the next 10 or 15 years of business that I could have gotten out of the customer. So that is a story that I tell consistently, and I tell it when I mentor kids. I tell it you know, within leadership development. I tell it all the time, and it reminds me to sit there and say, you know what? A, first of all, pay attention to the details. Second of all, take care of people. And work with them. When there's a mistake, you work with them to fix it. And you don't sit there and say, well, it's your fault. It's not my problem. Because that doesn't work for anybody.
0: Yeah. You know, that uh, underlying lesson there is 100% responsibility. Um, You know, to the degree you give up responsibility, you give up control. Yeah. And so, but I will tell you this though, Ben, I, I don't think that you lost that customer Uh, because of that situation, because I believe that you can always, always get them back, but that's, that's just something that's ingrained in me. And not everybody, not everybody's like this. I'm almost unreasonable when it comes to stubbornness. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I look, I like to look up words and I talk about this a lot, but the word stubborn, uh, instead of persistence, I like to use because of the lullaby effect. People use persistence all the time and it goes in one ear and out the other, because it's heard so much. So I like to say stubborn, which has a negative connotation most of the time. And stubborn, to me, when I looked up the definition, it really got me because there's two words that are used, and that's perversely unyielding. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I think that. that I think that like when you go and prospect for someone, a customer, and you're trying to get business from someone, if you're perversely unyielding, respectfully, obviously, and creatively, obviously, but you stay in the game until they either work with you or they die or you die. Of course, in that case, you're not going to be able to be perversely unyielding anymore. But if you really act that way and, and live your life and business that way, uh, you can have anything you want in life. And so
1: uh, I'll, I'll agree with that. But there also has to be the fact that you have to be able to say, I made a mistake without a doubt. I'm sorry. Yeah, Yeah. And how do we move forward together? And at that stage of my life, I wasn't willing to do that. Yep. And that pride, that you're, you're absolutely right. If I had gone back to the customer and said, you know what? I'm sorry, we made a mistake. Can we split this with you? I probably might, I might even still be working with that customer today.
0: Yeah. And and I agree with you. I agree with you. And so you got to look at it. It's a, like you said, it's a, things can be looked at several different ways. You shift your perspective and say, you know what? Now that's turns into an investment on my part and i got to invest the the money whatever it is but at the end of the day i'm going to make sure it's right and tell them hey i'm human i made mistakes even though they had part in it right it doesn't matter absolutely they had part in it and and then from there like you're right i mean if you would have taken that responsibility and then going into the if they didn't let's just say they didn't want to work with you after that but you kept following up anyway at some point the timing is going to be just right where they're going to have an issue with somebody else and if you continue to run your business like you are expected to run your business which is very high standards um there there's no customer that that will uh you know quit you for life as long as you keep going after it so lessons there i love it ben i mean I, the, the two things that i heard was 100% responsibility and also be be stubborn about it uh, as far as going after it more so uh let me let me get into this with you because I like to ask the guests now that my book Rocket Fuel is coming out February 7th, yeah. uh it's all about converting setbacks and becoming unstoppable. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on what rocket fuel, that rocket fuel concept means to you. And I'm asking all my guests this question now because uh, you know, I really want to hear the different aspects and different sides of it and how people actually view that concept. So what does rocket fuel mean to you?
1: Well, I, I think the fact of being unstoppable is 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 this year could probably be you know the, the the quintessential you know definition of rocket fuel. You know, in March, there was a bunch of us on a Zoom call together, keynote speakers from around the world playing you know uh, keynote bingo. And whoever lost every single job that they had for the year first won. I came in second. I had work in Australia, I had work in Europe, I had work in Trinidad and Tobago, three United States keynotes for an entire year, gone in 72 hours. And I think it's you, know, you had two choices at that point in time. We all had two choices at that point in time. You can grab your knees and rock back and forth and and, and call for your mommy, or you can sit there and say, okay, what's next? And I think it's it's the people that sit there and say, okay, now, now that this has happened. What do we do now? How do we redefine ourselves? How do we sit there and say, these are the skills that we have? How do we sit there and find the people that need you know, what we can do for them and be able to work with them to be able to thrive through this? Those are the people that su- su- survived and succeeded moving forward. The people that just sit there and said, oh, my God, you know, keynotes, keynotes are gone. What am I going to do? Those are the people that are still sitting on their hands. And I think that the rocket fuel is, is the belief in yourself. It's 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 believing that there will always be another day. There's there's always a different way of looking at it. There's always a way to, you know, get beyond the trauma and the grief and the frustration and, and build something new and build something that's exciting. I, I, the, the book that I'm working on right now is called The Glasses Refillable. You know, that's the next book that I'm writing right now. It's called The Glasses Refillable. And I truly believe that we control our own destiny, and the way we can control our own destiny is believing that no matter how bad things get, no matter how challenging things are, no matter how dark things are, there's a way out, and I and there's a way to to, to move beyond. And I think that those are the people that will always the ones that are adaptable and the ones that are resilient and the ones that are creative. Those are the people that have the true rocket fuel in life.
0: Love it, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, every problem has a solution. Every problem. And if you believe that, you're yeah, you're unstoppable. Thank you very much for that, Ben. And thank you for joining us today, man. And and how can the audience engage with you further and also get in touch with you?
1: You know what? The best way to engage with me is, is through LinkedIn. You can find me uh, through Your Brand Marketing. It's, it's probably the best. Or, or just keep me on through Ben Baker. But to find everything and anything about me, go to yourbrandmarketing.com. There is free chapters of my two books. There's three free ebooks there. There's a link to my podcast. There's links to my podcasting programs, to my leadership development training. Everything is sitting right there in one spot, including how to book me for keynotes. And it's all at yourbrandmarketing.com. That's, that's the central repository for everything.
0: Love it. Thank you so much, Ben. I appreciate you. I had a blast here today. Thank you for having me on your show, too. And I look forward to doing things, some, uh, you know, some. I don't know what in the future, but definitely working with you. Cause you're my kind of guy, man.
1: Hey, we'll find some way to make it happen.
0: All right, brother. Thank you so much for listening to the, what are you made of podcast? Please go subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, or whatever you listen to. Also, if you like to watch podcasts, YouTube, Mike C rock go subscribe there and you will get dinged every time we put out a new episode, which is twice a week. And uh, I'm going to continue to bring you great guests with great value, great content for your life and business and relationships. Till next time, I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at my website, MikeCrock.com forward slash book. That's com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. Thank you so much for your support and your listenership. It means the world to me. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of What Are You Made Of? Be sure to check my website out at TheMikeCrock.com, TheMikeCrock with no K.com, and let us know how we can help you or your business reach its full potential. Feel free to leave a review or follow me on social media Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at MikeCrockScirocco. Again, thank you for joining me and see you guys on the next episode. <laughs>